friends thanks for tuning into the show this is not the normal episode and not the normal intro so uh before you skip ahead just two seconds uh if you're new here this is not what an episode sounds like go check out a different one episode 73 or 74 are great places to start this episode is it was recorded over a year ago before i ever started talks with tiger this was this is chris cantelmo so he's the person who flew me down to la um, I, like I got to meet Joe Rogan, he gave me enough money to uh, actually buy mics and some computers to do this on. So this he's kind of the reason that I'm doing this show. And, and now in my episode 100, I thought it'd be good to put out like an homage to him uh, and his person because he has since killed himself. Uh, I think like two or three months after I got back, he he decided to get on out of here. And I almost feel kind of guilty putting this episode out because he puts forward some pretty nutty ideas about DMT. Like. The guy definitely wasn't without his faults, but I appreciate the role he played in my life and the role he played in the world at large, so I thought I'd put it out anyways. Um, So thank you very much for listening to this long-ass intro, and also, it's episode 100. First and foremost, every single person who listens to the show, Patreons especially, but everyone, I couldn't appreciate y'all more. You are hands down the reason I'm doing this because I wouldn't make it a hundred episodes if no one was listening and also today marks exactly one year from when I published the first episode which I think is a lot of fun um so yeah a hundred episodes this year I'd like to do 150 next year and uh secondary and but also mainly thank you also to um everyone who's came on the show and gave me an hour of their time to like just speak with me either sharing intimate parts of your life sharing knowledge you've gained or just shooting the shit for an hour you you bring entertainment and laughs and joy and tears and stuff to a lot of people and uh i can't wait to have you guys back um so yeah thank you for listening lots of love and here's the show all right and in three two one i got with me here today chris cantelmo would you want to introduce yourself yep that's me chris cantelmo and i'm here with uh tiger gruber and we're going to be talking about dmt and god and science and peace and uh love and time and time yeah we're gonna we're gonna cover a lot of ground cool would you want to before we get started would you want to introduce yourself where you come from uh sure well i'm from new york uh, and I guess to get to the important stuff, I went to Yale and uh, have a degree in molecular biophysics and biochemistry. And I've spent the last 35 years roughly in science as an entrepreneur, doing science in the what's called the field of separation science, and specifically high-performance liquid chromatography, HPLC. And that's a method to take a mixture of chemicals and figure out what's in the mixture. So you can, uh, for the purposes of analysis and purification, if you, if, you have a, if you want to purify a compound from a mixture of chemicals, you can use chromatography to do that. Okay. And so now, what got you started from there into your journey with DMT? Okay. The, I, I had had a fair amount of experience with psilocybin and uh, some experience with LSD as a younger person. And through the years, uh, so I had an interest in psychedelics um, just for really, for, just because they were fun. And uh, I, I had some difficulties later in my life, just a few years ago, where I had 
uh, decided that I was going to kill myself, commit suicide. Over the years, the past 10 years, I attempted suicide three times. Uh, luckily, I failed. The, the last time was uh, January 15th, 2018. I had taken uh, psilocybin mushrooms about 11 o'clock one night, and during that experience, I reached the conclusion that I really was deeply unhappy with life. I had lost a connection to uh, the spirit world and spirituality. Uh, my atheism had left me really destitute morally. Like they, I had my life had no purpose. So I contacted my kids by text, which is about the most heinous thing that anyone can ever do. And I said that I'm going to commit suicide. So they did the right thing, and they, they called 911. And in the, in the period between saying I was going to commit suicide and, not, and the uh, 911 responders getting in my house, I decided that I wasn't going to commit suicide. I took a bunch of Xanax and got in bed. And uh, so anyway, anyway the uh, police knocked at my door, and uh, I was taken against my were put in handcuffs, which is how things work in California. It's called a 5150 hold, and uh, taken to a mental hospital where I was uh, kept for five days. They can actually keep you up to 19 days without any intervention from a court or anything else. I got out after five days. While I was in there, the mess, somehow this message came to me that to, to seek out DMT, N-N-dimethyltryptamine, which I had heard about over the years. Terrence McKenna uh, was an incredible ambassador for this compound. And, and then later on, Joe Rogan has talked really articulately about this and, and uh, just really uh, reignited my interest in this. So I got out of the hospital still thinking, still an, an atheist, and still thinking that I was going to kill myself. But I, but I, I had this feeling, oh, before I do that, I want to try DMT. So I went online and I looked up the best sources of uh, DMT. And, and Mimosa hostilis, it's a, it's a tree that grows in the Amazon, is a very good source of this. So I sent away... Uh, for, I don't know, like four kilograms of this stuff, and looked up the basic techniques for purifying it. And after about a month, I had enough to, to try for the first time. It took me a while to, to feel confident that what I had purified was DMT. And then when I finally inhaled a sufficient quantity to have what's called a breakthrough, mm -hmm. I realized that there's a God, because you get to see, you get a uh, invitation to the spirit world, and you see spirits. I saw heaven, and so uh, once you know that that God exists and heaven exists, uh, everything changes and everything becomes beautiful, and you cannot keep it to yourself. Mm -mm. Now, uh, so, like I am, I am so sick of uttering the letters DMT. I've been talking about it incessantly to everyone I meet. I want to stop talking about DMT, but I can't because it enables just the most beautiful things in the world. And, uh, you, you know, we, we can talk. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what aspect of it you might want to focus on at this point. Yeah. So just to get a little background. So so it's the thing that you you pur purify from a tree yeah. and then you, you vaporize it. Yes. There are different ways of uh, getting it into your system. 
The way that most people have heard about it is via ayahuasca, which is basically a, a very bitter, horrible-tasting brew that uh, originated in the Amazon basin. And if you do it that way, it, it lasts for a few hours, but it's not particularly what, you know, intense. If you purify the, the you know, what's called a free base of DMT, and you vaporize it somewhere between like 30 and 60 milligrams in, a, in roughly three lungfuls of, of uh, inhaling, you enter, you, 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 it's called a breakthrough, and you enter another dimension. What happens is, in everyday reality, when you're looking at the world, the world has a certain size. You have a certain perspective on the world. And you think, okay, this is what the world is. This is how big it is. When you inhale DMT, this world stays here, but it gets much bigger because there are many more dimensions available to us than we see in everyday life. And, and everyday life is basically mediated by, like serotonin is the primary neurotransmitter in our brains as adults. DMT is the primary neurotransmitter in our brains when we're children. This becomes very obvious. As soon as you reintroduce DMT to your brain as an adult, you realize you recognize childhood. There's a the, there's the notion that DMT is a drug. DMT is no more a drug than serotonin or saliva or blood. Yeah. Um, so when you reintroduce this to an adult brain, you, the, your brain shifts into this hyper-efficient mechanism for interpreting the world and you things that are otherwise invisible become very visible to you and also the messages come to you from the universe from god telling you that you have a purpose and my purpose is and this sounds so ridiculous and people are going to laugh in my face like what kind of a goof would even say this in public i need to bring world peace <laughs> to earth <laughs> And I'd, I'd really like your help, whether or not you, know, you care about DMT or anything else. I think it's kind of important to have a peaceful world. And what do you think are the mechanisms that we can use to get there? If any, it seems like a very I mean, complex process, but it's a, what's, it's, what's a starting step? Uh, a starting step is to, is to realize that we are all children of God and we are all equally beautiful and important and everyone has good intentions and th this, uh, uh, well, it's certainly, you know, in America right now, we have this posture where we don't want uh, immigrants. And we've, we've sort of set up this situation where there are Americans and then there's everybody else. Well, that's just the most ridiculous thing in the world. Uh, basically, yeah, the whole notion of borders between countries is just ridiculous. But, uh, you know, it would, it would certainly be a step in the right direction to stop marginalizing other people who aren't Americans. That, that's the first thing that we need to do. I agree 100%. And so do you notice any benefits to your life after consuming DMT? Uh, well, there are only benefits. Uh, just, just real simple stuff. I used to drink a 12-pack of beer a day. Oh. Uh, I would take three or four Xanax a day. This is just to get through any given day. Yeah. Was that because uh, your job or just because the people uh, around I, you? I had terrible anxiety. My, my, basically from the, my senior year in high school through when I had this experience with DMT, I was terrified of, I was an extremely shy person. I, like I would never be able to do this. Yeah. 
in college, I could almost not open my mouth in class or anything. I would get so panicked. I, like, uh, as soon as the, the, the focus was on me, my brain just short-circuited. As a lot of people do. So many people today suffer anxiety or depression, if not anxiety. Absolutely. So you see this as a possible way to combat that? When you do DMT, you, you stop, you don't need antidepressants anymore. And let me, okay, so this is, this is a very important point. My whole professional career was in the pharmaceutical industry because my customers were pharmaceutical chemists, biotechnologists. Big Pharma, they know about this. Like DMT was, was, has been well known to the scientific community since the 50s. And its properties are well characterized. But it can't be patented because it's a natural product. It's, it's exists in plants, it's produced by our brains, by the pineal gland. It's, it's just, you can't patent a natural product. So what the pharmaceutical companies do is they say, okay, how can we take basically this DMT structure, this tryptamine structure, and modify it, put a uh, amino group here or a hydroxyl there or whatever, and can we get close to the properties of DMT? Well, it turns out you can't. So, um, And just to clarify that, you said tryptamine structure, which is which is pretty much the precursor for serotonin. Serotonin, and, melatonin, and, uh, you know, the neurotransmitters, there's basically the tryptamine class, and then there's the uh, phenethylamine class, mm -hmm. which dopamine and, and others. Yeah. And to yeah. Put, the, put this in a little bit of perspective, serotonin wasn't discovered as a neurotransmitter until the mid-20th century, not that long Correct. ago. If you had any sort of mental illness relating to serotonin deficiency or reuptake, they would have, give, they would have not correctly identified that. That's right. And we could be in that today. There's published medical journals, medical studies mm -hmm. that hypothesize that DMT is a natural endogenous neurotransmitter. Correct. And, and you it, also and believe is. that. It is. I oh, believe there's no so question well. about it. Yeah. And that's, again, the, I think it's a Schedule 1 or Schedule 2 uh, listed compound right now in the United States, which is ridiculous. Again, it's like listing serotonin as a drug and, a, and as something that should be restricted. Um, so, uh, so, so just getting back to the, this whole antidepressant question, pharmaceutical companies, uh, because they can't sell DMT, they try to make things that are like DMT to, to sell you. Those are, that's called SSRIs. Those are the things that, you know, they use to, uh, block the reuptake. So it stays block in the, the reuptake. And, but those are but, just marginally better than a placebo. They if I remember right, like really something like one in 10 people today are on SSRIs, but right. um, when you take an SSRI, only 40% of the people noticed a benefit or something along there, but 30% right. noticed a placebo. So it technically beat the placebo test. But right. And that's really the, that's the, that's the crazy thing about um, the pharmaceutical world is that the efficiency, efficacy of a compound has to be just barely noticeable for it to be labeled as a drug and like to, to be able to be sold. It's, it's really just crazy. Um, and do you think they're keeping DMT as a scheduled drug and not something that people can consume to heal themselves out of ignorance or out of malicious? Right now, I think it's just inertia. It's, uh, you know, until people like uh, Terrence McKenna and Joe Rogan and, and now myself and other people, it's all uh, uh, Graham Hancock, I think his name is. Plenty of people are talking about this now. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson is yeah. talking about this. Incredible people. Incredible people. Uh, people who had everything in the world to lose by getting involved in a Schedule One listed drug that you know people 
could tell you will make you insane, will make you schizophrenic. I, again, I was an, an always top student in my class from elementary school through college. I'm a self-made millionaire. I have a very nice life. I've got a nice piece of property in California. I had everything to lose by uh, experimenting with this compound. And what happened is I gained the world by doing it. Yeah. So it's like people just have to take a, take a chance, take a risk, because it pays off incredibly well. And so what do you think is the step toward legislation? Do, do we need people studying it? Do we just need more wide appeal? Yeah, we need people studying it. And okay, here's, here's a crazy thing. When I had this first experience, I saw God and, and realized, okay, there's a spirit world. I got in touch with uh, Dr. Rick Strassman, who wrote a book called The Spirit Molecule. And I said, I, okay, DMT is a natural, endogenous human neurotransmitter in childhood. It's clear to me. Like, how can, who, who's doing, and, and Rick is, uh, Dr. Strassman is uh, basically retired now. So I said, who is doing uh, science in the U.S. on this now? So he said, get in touch with Deepak D'Souza at Yale Medical School and uh, Roland uh, Griffith at Johns Hopkins. So I got in touch with those two guys. They're very esteemed scientists. And I said, look, I will personally fund research in your labs. If you want to go out and uh, hire grad students, I will pay for their uh, tuition, their, their expenses. And what would you want them to study in particular? Uh, well, like, um, one, one of the things that uh, Dr. Strassman had gotten permission to do in the, I think it was the early 90s, from the FDA or whoever the uh, governing authority was, was to just do basic things like figure out when someone, uh, he was doing it intravenously. When you, when you administer DMT intravenously, what happens to people's blood pressure, their heart rate, their breathing rate, just the physiological effects. And then once you know that adding this to your system is not gonna cause any physiological crisis, then you can go on and, and study the, the psychological effects. So uh, really the physiological effects have been cleared. The stuff uh, in, in people who ex have certain expectations about it, Apparently, the blood pressure goes up a little, your heart rate goes up a little, because it's, it's scary. It's a scary thing to think about doing. Like your, your, your view of the world is going to completely change by doing this stuff. I think people who don't know what they're getting involved in, don't have expectations, that, that increase in heart rate and blood pressure probably doesn't really happen. But again, because there's been very little research done on this, that's an unknown question. Mm -hmm. And there should be no unknown questions about this stuff at this point. Like, you know, we have the ability to do these tests quite uh, effectively and inexpensively and rapidly. Literally by, uh, today's, today's what, Monday? By Friday, this information could be well understood if three or four labs in the U.S. just got off their asses and did it. So you want them to look at the mechanistic, they, they know, they, they, they're aware that it affects the sigma-1R receptor and the 5-HTP2 receptor in the brain. And people think, people hypothesize that that could have a lot of healing properties. So oh, yeah. do you want them to uh, just get evidence for sure? I mean, there's, there's a good amount of evidence that it can cure things like autoimmune diseases and cancers and all sorts of things. I think what we're going to find out is that there's DMT is the controlling molecule in the brain. It, you know, there, there's a very complex interplay between all the different neurotransmitters and all the different chemicals that are in the brain. 
And one of them resets the whole system, keeps everything in line. And DMT happens to be that molecule. You know, why, there, why it's one molecule and why is it DMT, I don't know, who cares. But the, the important thing is that it's been discovered. It's very simple to do experimentation with it, and it's, the experimentation is long overdue. Yeah, and to put this in a little perspective, there aren't necessarily tons of claims to back it up that it is in the pineal gland, except it was found in rats, and it's found in our lungs and liver and all sorts of things. But it's like people like someone like Galileo saying the, the sun's the center of our of our, you know, we're rotating around that where, you know, the public at first is like, there's no evidence for this. Why should we trust you? Right. But it's a call to scientists to start studying it right. to make this known. Right. That's, that's the question I get all the time. If this is so true and so obvious, why isn't anyone else talking about it? And the reason is because I'm the only one talking about it. But as soon as someone, like a, a good scientist, here, here's the crazy thing about these, these guys who, uh, like the Strassman and, uh, Dr. Griffith and uh, Dr. D'Souza, they're basically using human guinea pigs, but they've not tried the compound themselves, which is a, kind of evil, frankly. Uh, so I have the chops, the scientific chops, to teach those guys quite a lesson. And I had the balls to just, because I was going to kill myself, I said, you know, I was brave enough to just try this stuff. And now so, you're no longer suicidal? No, no, no. The last thing I would, and, and, uh, in one of the uh, breakthroughs I had, I was I was in my backyard and I was looking up at a blue sky, and out of the blue sky came uh, angels. It was really a really very beautiful thing, and they the angels basically offered their hand to me and said, "You like you you've, you've done enough. If you want to come up, you're welcome." And when I realized that that was available to me, I said, "Okay, I re as much as I want to go up there right now." I have a little more work to do here on Earth. I've got, I spent the better part of my life being a strong advocate for atheism. Like, you know, uh, you, you may know of Sam Harris. He's a very well-known atheist in this country. I, you know, was way more atheist than Sam Harris. And then I realized, so I had convinced my kids, my family, that there was no God. And that when, you, when there's no, when you live in a world where there's no God, it's scary. There's no purpose and all that. So I realized I had to get back in touch with all these people that I had so effectively persuaded that there was no God and right the wrong I had done. So that, that's really what I'm doing right now. And, and again, now that I know that heaven exists, I can't wait to get there. Do I mean, you believe God in a secular religion or in a different kind of way, non-traditional? Non-traditional. I'm not a religious person. And, and that's a dis distinction that gets lost. A traditionally on religious person. Traditionally religious. But you believe in God. You're religious. I believe in God. There is a God. There's a creator. I don't know if it's a man, a woman, if it has a human form, whatever. There's, there's a force in the universe that I'm going to call God. And you feel it. You feel it. And you, you see his messengers, angels, when you do DMT. And it's not, it's not like you get a feeling and you think you see it. it this is not a subtle thing mm -hmm. um, so uh, w the way I describe it is I have a direct connection to God and, and DMT enables that w the way I think about religions are religions are started by people who had the same experience the, the presence of God was revealed to them and then they started to preach about it and to try to talk to other people about it and uh, for some reason, religions all then take 
they want to take ownership of that God and say, okay, the God is available to you in this way or through this particular avenue. And then things get, really get out of, out of control and perverted. I mean, it just, it, I won't go into any of the, you know, the downsides to any one particular religion. All I can say is that they all started out with good intentions, and 99.99% of the people involved in any one religion are beautiful people who want, Wonderful who want pe- great things. Community, Absolutely. love, respect, Absolutely. good people. Right. But it, it's the few. Right, it's the few that ruin it for everyone. And so the important thing is that everyone should know it. And people, there are people out there who have been waiting for this message. And they, they're going to hear what I'm saying and connect to it. And super quick, if you do want to connect to it, Google Gordotech. Watch the first YouTube video and define Mimosa Hostilis Root Park. Go on eBay, Instagram, or chillhawaiian.com. Okay, anyways, um, to, cut you, to, to change the topic just a little bit, do you think if people of different secular religions, say a Buddhist or a Muslim and a Christian, all try it, would they experience different gods, or would they experience different? Do you think um, no. it's a universal experience? This is this is something that I really want to do, um, and I've been trying to get uh, a bunch of people together in in uh, one place. I'm happy to do it in my backyard. I'd, I heard that Mike Tyson is a big fan of uh, the five methoxy DMT, and I don't know if which he's, is slightly different. Five methoxy is from the Sonora Desert Toad, correct? Where they they milk it onto glass, scrape it off. And smoke it, which is supposedly much stronger, less visual. Um, Correct. Yes, we're uh, talking about NN dimethyltryptamine. NN dimethyltryptamine is what was I, my experience with. And uh, so, let me step back a second. There's there's been uh, this notion with psychedelics that the idea that when you take a psychedelic, the visions you have when you if when you're when you, when you have your eyes open and you're looking at the world. There's a notion that the visions that you have are hallucinations. They're they're a fuzzy interpretation of the world. Nothing could be further than the truth. What they are is you're seeing higher dimensions in the real world. So I firmly believe if you take 10 people and sit them in one place looking at the same natural scene, they all do DMT together, they're all going to see the same spirits because the spirits... They blend in with the trees, and, and when they and, and when they realize that you can see them, they come and they want to entertain you, and they so they sort of they float over to you, and I I'm just certain that if people are you know looking at in the same direction, they're all going to see the same spirits because they exist in the real world. They're not hallucinations. Does that make sense? I believe as well. Yeah. But so so that's what a lot of people consider a classroom experience. Some people call it the waiting room, but I believe that's a very toxic way of thinking about it because you hit the waiting room where you see spirits and entities and you think, oh, I wanted the breakthrough. But then if you view it as a classroom experience, because often you come back with lessons about yourself, about the world around you, things you need to do, things you need to change, people you need to right wrongs, all these things. Yes. So it's like a classroom experience. But, and and you totally see entities during a breakthrough, but a full breakthrough is almost like flipping the switch to, to... to be to dying, yes, and then coming back to life. It's a, in my experience. Absolutely, I agree. It's like, like a reboot on a computer. Yeah, it, it's exactly it. Yeah, um, and it's you know some people say, well, I don't want to be rebooted, and hmm. the, the well, you know the the what happens as adults is we get set in our ways, and really, as adults, most of the thinking we do is just rumination. We're just recycling the same thoughts over and over. 
you, you, especially older people, I mean, this, this is going to sound terrible to say, but you talk to you know, people in their 70s and 80s, I mean, they're quite boring. They just sort of say the same thing over and over. Unless they've had a near-death experience. Right. They come back to life. They're yeah. spry. They enjoy the time. They're grateful. And this is a way to get a near-death experience without being in danger. I view it yeah. as. Because sure. if you have a near-death experience, people, I mean, they are changed people. They start capitalizing things like you and I and being, or I capitalize time. It sure. literally changes who you are fundamentally to realize all that we have here is time. Absolutely, that's that's definitely true. So, yeah, the again, it it, it really is uh, critically important for for atheists and people who have doubts about the afterlife because, and as you get older, those doubts lead to more and more angst and anxiety. So, if there's a way to to get past that and realize, oh, okay, the universe is much more fascinating and beautiful than I ever expected. Just life just becomes so incredible, and and uh, so again, I just whatever I can do to lessen the fears uh, surrounding this compound and get people to embrace it. That's what I have to do. Know that, it, know that every single person who takes this has something called pre-flight anxiety. You will feel, you will feel terrified mm -hmm. up until taking it because your ego and yourself, you know that this is something that's going to, you know, rip yeah. your ego out of you. Right. But then as soon as, as soon as the effects come on, which is quick, within 10 or 20 seconds, you want to be laying down. All that your body tells you is lay down, close your eyes, for me personally. Yeah. Um, you know, all of it vanishes and you realize you're like, I am so grateful to be alive and have time here, mm -hmm. have people. Yeah, it's very life reaffirming, um, and that's a really important thing. Uh, I want to I talk about um, the experience I had with the FBI. Okay. Can I do yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, on one of the, um, the breakthroughs I had, and okay, th this, um, this area of, of discussion gets people very afraid. The Earth is now um, uh, surrounded, like immersed in the, the, the alien. I'm just going to call it the alien. Whether or not they came from outer space, when, when they got here, I don't know. Basically, humans are not really in control of the uh, life on this planet anymore. There is an incredibly sophisticated and um, uh, ingenious uh, group of alien entities now on Earth. And when you do DMT, they present themselves. So I had an experience where these, uh, this, and I describe them as feline insect uh, creatures came came to me and the, the way they, they don't they don't speak they communicate with basically by shining light in your eyes in certain patterns and those lights the, when they shine a the certain pattern in your eyes it creates thoughts in your head so these these feline insect creatures in my backyard basically confronted me and said we're here now we're in charge you can either get your act together humanity and stop polluting the planet stop hurting other creatures stop creating so much co2 if you don't do that we're going to take you out you're going to become plant food and they said get in touch with the fbi get in touch with the cia get in touch with the government change the way things are or you're gonna go and again it's not subtle so 
I came out of that, and I immediately called 911 about 10 times, and I explained that there is a basically a what I called a bioterrorism alert that is underway. And the way to deal with it is to basically be immunized with DMT. Then I called the FBI three times, and I explained. I gave them my name, my phone number. I said, this is the situation. Come to my house. So about five days later, uh, I get a knock on my, my door. They really didn't make a bioterrorist attack a priority five days. No, because, you know, what, what happens is because, because I had been in this 5150 hold, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Everything I say now is marginalized. Yep. Oh, this guy's crazy. He's, you know, he's a psycho. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it took him five days to show up. These two guys, really great guys, clean cut. Uh, and with, with a, what, I, what I really admired about these two guys is they had a genuine interest in getting to the truth. Nice. Like they had heard about what I said and think, uh, okay, this guy, is he dangerous? Is he going to hurt other people? Whatever. So I invited them into my house and I went through, showed them everything. Uh, how, like I showed them the this bark that I isolate DMT from, how I do it. I showed them every step of the process. And then I vaporized, I inhaled it in front of them so they could see that it doesn't, you know, uh, it's not debilitating in any way. And I, one of the critical things that they wanted to assure was that I was not a violent person, that I was not going to hurt myself or anyone else. And I cannot emphasize this enough. I am the least violent person you will ever meet. I don't have any guns. I'm not advocating any kind of violence. I would never do that. It's really important that we just, everyone just, when, when, when you start talking about aliens or anything like that, people get terrified. You start talking about God, a lot of people get terrified. Everyone can just calm down. Think of all the movies that you, we've gone to that humanity has, has run to theaters to over the years because they want to see movies about the arrival of aliens. Well, they're here, and you don't need a movie ticket anymore. You, all you need to do is vaporize DMT or, or do ayahuasca, and you're going to see them out there. And once you realize that what you're seeing is actually out there in the world and they're not hallucinations, it's just the most incredible thing. So the... the uh, I think it'll be really interesting for people to know. I called the FBI. The FBI came to my house and watched me purify DMT and vaporize DMT, inhale DMT. I told them all about it. Uh, I really think that humanity wants to be introduced to the feline insects that are surrounding us now. People want purpose in their life. People yeah, People want absolutely. to know what else is out there. Because, I mean, why are we here? Why are we here on this rock? Like, yeah, I get it that you know, some microbe ate mitochondria and it could create pro, you know, power and all these things and we're bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. But why? Why? Why right. any of it? Right. What happens when all this starts burn out? Like, is, is it all going to restart? Or, you know, people want answers. Right. It's, these are age-old, incredible questions. Uh, okay, I, I want to talk um, also about... Okay, I, so, so when I... When I um, before I, I did DMT, I had really gotten bored with science. I really wasn't thinking much about science. When you do DMT, basically you become a genius. Immediately all the, all the information, whatever, whatever area of, of interest you have, whatever you're thinking about when you do DMT, you suddenly become an, the world's expert in that area because all the information about that just comes into your head. So one of the things that I realized uh, after doing, having a breakthrough was that DMT was the, is the you know, endogenous neurotransmitter of, of human childhood, infancy and childhood. And then it made me realize that what schizophrenia is, 
is when DMT production in the brain doesn't stop at puberty. Because the way I, I see it is that, so DMT is in our heads as we're infants and children and young teens. When we reach puberty, there's some mechanism where either the increase in, in sex hormones or whatever cuts off the production of DMT, and we enter adulthood. And now that I've seen uh, what adulthood is from both sides of it, adulthood is really boring, right? It's, it's kind of just kind of gray and, and uh, quite boring. The, the upside is you get to have sex. So, you know, as kids, the world is wonderfully colorful and, and we're geniuses and everything's funny. And, and then we become adults and it gets boring, but we get to have sex. Sorry about that. There are some audio difficulties. So you're saying uh, we get to grow up and we get to we get to have sex and a little yes. bit more freedom. So um, again, just step back. Yeah. The DMT is the primary neurotransmitter in our infancy and childhood up through puberty, and when puberty hits, uh, in quote unquote normal people, DMT production stops, and we enter uh, adulthood, and it it gets quite boring. Do you believe it comes back when we die? It definitely does. You, you, you see it. And, yeah. uh, okay, so I'll talk briefly about that. I believe what happens at death is the oxygen level in the brain drops to nothing, and CO2 increases to, you know, effectively whatever maximum. And that triggers the pineal to un unload the final dose of DMT into the brain. When that happens, your, your soul is transported up into the heavens um, so that goes along with Wim Hof's method of breathing, where he breathes in a lot, get enough oxygen for everything, mm -hmm. and then you breathe out and hold to raise your CO2 levels, create mm -hmm. an alkaline environment. Mm -hmm. He believed, he said that you can experience a DMT environment through his I, sort I of it. breathing because you're raising your CO2 levels. That I believe be it. Right. Similar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think it really is the CO2 level. I think you can have a high level of oxygen in your blood. But if you also have a high level of CO2, things what, go south. What happens if you die from a method like... Your head getting blown off. Or? That's a really good question. That's a that tough, I've scary thought, question. I've thought a lot about. Like if you, if your whole head gets vaporized, like people who died die in a nuclear holocaust or something. I don't know. But again, there's a God. Like these things have been worked out. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> it, but yeah, that, that's a really good question that I've thought about. Um, so anyway, getting back to schizophrenics, because this is really important. This is something that, since the beginning of time, people have wondered, what's a schizophrenic? Schizoph well, they used to be shamans before, you know. You said since the beginning of time. They used to have a place in society. I, okay. In the, the beginning of, like, modern uh, history. Okay. Like, if you... If you uh, since money has become control. Well, in, in, well for example, in, in, in my world people scratch their heads. What's schizophrenia? Mm. Well, schizophrenia is when DMT uh, levels in your brain exist past uh, puberty. That's what schizophrenia is. So At least schizophrenic actually pee out, urinate, 5-MeO-DMT or 4? Uh, I don't know. There, there is a uh, derivative of, yeah. of uh, DMT. So it's, it's been established that DMT levels are higher in the urine of schizophrenics, which, I mean, what, how stupid are people, like people who do research? Duh, DMT is related to schizophrenia. Yeah. So... I start talking about, I hadn't talk, thought about schizophrenia when I, I did this DMT and boom, okay, that's what schizophrenia is. So now these nitwits who have been studying it for their entire lives come and start attacking me. Well, 
why should we believe you? Why isn't anyone else talking about this? And the only reason is because I'm the only one talking about it right so now. So far. So far. No, in, in a month or two months or three months, these guys who have the ability to see what I'm saying uh, are going to agree with me. And here's the thing. I went on Reddit.com. Uh, I don't know how many, how you know, well-known that website is. It, Very. It's a, okay, so it's a good place. It seems to be the, the place where the smartest people online gather to talk about ideas. So I went to R, the subreddit, the area of uh, reddit.com that talks the about the subreddit that talks about schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. It's like r slash forward slash schizophrenia. And I posted these, uh, my descriptions of schizophrenia. And the scientists who, you know, lurk in there attack me. What do you, you know, who are you to come and say this? The schizophrenic said, oh my God, what you're saying is absolutely correct. And went into detail. So basically, the schizophrenics, people who suffer from the situation, recognize that what I'm saying is true. And the people who are supposed to be leaders in this field and describing it and, and you know coming up with some kind of a solution or whatever, they don't recognize it. But it's going to change. Yeah, I believe so, too. Yeah. Something interesting about that connection that I kind of made, but I've, um, I've heard some two, two different things that kind of come together. So Rhonda Patrick was on Joe Rogan. She talked about how schizophrenics have very high levels of nicotine addiction because it um, promotes alpha waves, I believe it was, maybe beta waves, that um, help block out mm-hmm. unnecessary stimuli. And psychedelics, classical psychedelics, mm-hmm. actually block those waves so that you can't block out anything. Mm-hmm. So you hear, if you're in a room of 100 people, you're hearing every single person talk, mm-hmm. which is what schizophrenics Correct. make them so like, oh my gosh, I need to leave. But if you're taking nicotine, it, it blocks that out, which allows them to be a regular part of society. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, so that's just more proof that psychedelics and schizophrenia are very connected. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 again, that that notion should not scare people. No. The the you know well, there's, there's this there's, taboo about talking thing about talking about right. anything talking about cancer, drugs, diseases, anything can't talk about it. And there's a fear that well, what if you take a psychedelic and then you become schizophrenic? And everyone everyone knows someone who knows someone who took. LSD and then became schizophrenic, right? But you never meet any of those people. And there there was this guy, Philippe, at Yale, who uh, I think it was sophomore year or junior year, he was doing a lot of acid. And uh, one day, one afternoon, he was out in the middle of the courtyard in the the rain on a cold day, naked, raving about Grateful Dead or something. And uh, they carted Philippe off, you know, white, white, you know, what do they call this Looney things? bin. Yeah. yeah, they took him to the loony bin, and he was gone for about a year. Straight jacket. Straight jacket. That's <laughs> what I was looking for. And uh, But he came back, and uh, now he teaches at Harvard, I think, or something. He's like a psychologist at Harvard or something. So, yes. In, and, and, and here's the thing about Philippe. I think probably he was going to be a schizophrenic, and it just became apparent then. Uh, you know, a certain percent of the population, they're going to be schizophrenic. So... Uh, and if you're predisposed to it, any sort of intense stressor, such as a family member or friend dying, an intense long-term relationship breakup, will trigger it. Any sort of very important stress. But sure. if you're not, and psychedelics are that, and it tends to come around in your early 20s, and that's when people tend to experiment with psychedelics. But if you're not predisposed mm-hmm. to a mental illness, psychedelics cannot cause permanent long-term Correct. schizophrenia, but can bring on temporary because if you're in the wrong environment, if you're in a crowd of a thousand people or mm-hmm. like a, a bad rally of like evil mm-hmm. people, sure. you will feel as if you're going crazy, but it won't be long term. 
Correct. And, and, you know, you have to use your head. Like, why would you want to take a, a substance that's going to totally change your view of the world and, and be, at first, a very unfamiliar place? Why would you want to do that in an environment that's not nurturing People and calm? People view them as party drugs. People take mushrooms and go to parties, and they should not stress it enough. I cannot stress it. It should not be. Well, it's if an you're, introspective if you're, tool. Uh, well, you know, I don't like to put any rules around it. Yeah. If you're experienced with what the effects are going to be, mm-hmm. then you can you know your way around, and you can do things. You know if, if you start to feel a certain way, you know you have to make a plan. How do I get out of this safely? Do not, under any circumstances, try a psychedelic for the first time in a public setting around people who don't have your back. Or even the second time. Not until you right, know until you what know. you're getting into. You always want to have someone who's going to take care of you, who you can trust. That's really, really important. And, okay, this, this is something I really want to stress. Kids don't need to be taking psychedelics because they've got DMT in their head already. And, um, you know, young teenagers and, 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 and kids who... who Start messing with their heads early on. It's just, I would really highly recommend against it. Like, to what age? I don't know. I don't know what the age is. Throw out a number. You know? But this is, that, this is just guessing. The first time I, I did mushrooms, I was a junior at Yale. So I was, I don't know, what, 19. 20, 19, 20, something like yeah. that. It seemed to be a perfectly good time to do it. Uh, if, you know, if you want, want to wait till midway through college or something, or if you don't go to college, whatever. You sort of just, certainly young teens do not need to be messing with their you heads. You see those questions all the time on Reddit. Hey, right. I'm 16. Should I try DMT? No. Don't Just do it. Yeah, I mean, enjoy being a kid. Right. If you, I don't, I don't, anyone who's, any 16 year old or young kid who's done DMT, I don't want them to now think that, oh no, they screwed up their brain or something, right? Your brain is only going to be better because of it. Don't worry about that. But don't, you know, wait till you're an adult. No Trust rush. me. Trust me. There's no rush. Uh, you go through puberty you, you know, you, you take an interest in, in the opposite sex and things get really interesting in those areas. Like, you know, focus on that. Um, and then later on in life, when adulthood becomes boring, and trust me, it gets real boring. That's when you really want to, you know, think about yeah. that world. Cool. And so what was your biggest takeaway from your breakthroughs? The biggest takeaway is that God exists. And, the, and uh so then you look at the world and you say, okay, what's wrong with the world? The, the, the people the people are fighting all over the place. The Middle East is a disaster. Uh, over religion, to be fair. Over religion. It's all about religion and money. Basically, religion and money have really screwed up the world. And uh, overpopulation really has created pollution and a, and a shortage of food and water and all those things. So my the, the message that I've gotten from DMT is go out, talk about this, Get people back in touch with a direct connection with God. Stop polluting the environment. Take care of the homeless, the sick, the needy. Uh, you know, when in, in this country, there are so many billionaires, uh, and, and we have millions of people living on the street who have absolutely nothing. And you have to say to yourself, like, how many more billions do the top 1.1%. How many more billions do they need in their bank account when there are babies on the streets in Los Angeles? I, and I would say that they need no more billions in their bank accounts. So what, and this is going to happen. There's, there's, there's a, you, you can feel the momentum. Things are changing. There's conflict all around the world. China and the U.S. now are at each other's throats uh, economically. The Dow, just before we came in, the Dow is down 600 points. 
the Dow's going to take a bloodbath, right? We've seen the best part of this economic expansion. So we're going to have a uh, confluence of a stock market crash, a wars in the Middle East and in Asia, and uh, I think the collapse of the, 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 the U.S. dollar, and it's long overdue, and it's, it's actually only going to be a, somewhat of a nuisance to the wealthiest people. Uh, you know, you know. So th those are my optimistic predictions. Right. And, they, and you know what? I really am an optimist because when those things happen, there's going to be a, a force change, a force change, and a necessary realignment back to. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. Do you think this could happen more incrementally though, and maybe less people would get? That tends to not be the way things happen. Th things tend to happen sort of very precipitously. You know, you reach the a cliff edge and then you go over the cliff. So uh, it's it's not going to result in the disruption that sort of worst case scenario. And and again, the major point I want to make: this is all going to end very beautifully. There's going to be some rough rough and tumble for a while, and some things that are going to be scary and confusing. But it, it's all God exists. Like things are going to work out fine. And if you want to learn more, seriously, look up Gordo Tech, find Mimosa Hostels, and get a Yokon Evolve Plus with a donut coil. Make it happen. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Great, Great to be here. doing this again. Good talking to you. All right. So I was digging around, and I found our third conversation. So the, for the one that just played was the second time we spoke, and this one that's about to play is the third time we spoke. I'm just getting them both out of there, uh, you know, in one kind of foul soup. I couldn't find the first conversation we had, which is a huge bummer, because... I uploaded it to YouTube, and then when I left, he uploaded it to YouTube. So I took everything down and deleted everything. I was like, I don't need it. And I just happened to find these two conversations um, on a hard drive. But, you know, and then once, so once he died, he killed himself. He, uh, his kid or whoever else took all his videos down off YouTube. Like he was daily blogging or whatnot about it. Daily Vibe, no, what was it? It was something like Daily Vibes with Chris Cantelmo. Um, but anyways, so here's another conversation. We, we, he gets a little, you know, how he is at the end. Um, thank you for listening for anyone who's made it this far. I appreciate the hell out of you. Uh, here, here we go. I'm ready. All right. And in three, two, one, Tiger Gruber, Chris Cantelmo. Good to see you, Tiger. Let's get it going. Today's going to be a little bit less, uh, less of a formal thing. Um, so yeah, no, how, no, we're restarting, restarting. Okay. Yeah, how do uh, I start this? Just off? say, um, you know, why don't you say, um, you can just say, Tiger, introduce yourself, and then I'll start talking. I'll say, um, I'll start the whole thing about the coma, David, and the American dream. All right, cool. All right, <clears throat> and in three, two, one, Tiger Gruber, here we go. Hey, Tiger, Chris Cantelmo here, and uh, I, I posted a message on Reddit this morning. Uh, saying that we're going to be talking about Coma David and the American Dream this morning. Coma David is a, uh, a fellow I met just a few weeks ago. Who uh, I met him three weeks ago. He was an Uber driver for me, and we became fast friends. And about a week after I met him, he went into a coma for a week. So one week out of three weeks that I've, I knew him, he's been in a coma. And this morning, he had to go see his doctor. He was having some chest pains because he's, he's got heart problems. Uh, so the in an upcoming podcast, we're going to talk about David's life because he's just an amazing person who really is living out the American dream where 
uh, and uh, just to set it up a little bit, anyone who was aware of the uh, Rodney King riots back in 92, I think it was, in Los Angeles, there was a, a very well-publicized uh, and widely seen scene of a Asian family, Chinese family, on the roof of their building in which they had a convenience store in the, in the ground floor. And during the riots, that store was being threatened by the rioters, the protesters. So David and his family went up on the roof, and they were heavily armed, protecting their, their property and their store. And uh, it became sort of an iconic image from that, that event. And it was David. It's this, this guy, David, Coma David. Yeah. So uh, maybe next time or, or a tomorrow. Of, tomorrow could be. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about David, and he's going to tell his life story, which is fascinating. Just incredible. Yeah, something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah it was a bummer. Last night, uh, actually, all three of us went to see Joe Rogan at the Hollywood Improv, and he had to leave then, too, which is a bummer. So Yeah, he was getting a little dizzy. And uh, so this has just been the most amazing uh, few months and few weeks now. It's like sort of accelerating the, the degree to which just amazing things are happening. For example, I didn't know Tiger... Certainly not two weeks ago, maybe not even a week ago. Ten days, maybe. Tiger got in touch with me, just he responded, uh, got reached out uh, through Reddit. And now Tiger's here. He's got a bunch of new equipment. In L.A. In L.A. Meeting Joe Rogan. Yeah, so we're, we're both big fans of Joe Rogan. And uh, so, Tiger, talk about what happened last night. Yeah, okay, so that was a pretty crazy show. Um, we went there, and he just hangs out like a normal person, just in the bar as we're eating. Uh-huh. Um, and then we go into the show, and sadly, David's not feeling good, so Chris takes David home, makes sure he gets home okay. Mm -hmm. And then he's up there. I got a picture with him, but, but then there's two people heckling him. And I did not know how serious comedians took heckling. They are yeah, well, on it. it. You know, it yeah, in interrupts the rhythm of the act, I guess, right? Yeah, it'd be like, stop, like everyone's like 100 people watching a movie, and you like, pause it just to make a comment and then play it again. Right, It's right. just like, that's not really cool, because it is. I get it. It's like a rehearsed act. But I think he was just kind of testing his hour for his for his next uh, Netflix special. Yeah, right. It's cool. I try comedy sometime. I do. I do a stand-up, but I don't know. Yeah, I think everybody sort of has a dream of being a stand-up comedian. Yeah, it's just hard to write. Like, once you try to start it, it's actually like, all right, this is a lot more work than I expected. Yeah, time slows down while you're up on stage. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, it's much easier to sit around and be funny and with your friends or whatever. It but is. To make just the organic room full of people laugh is really oh, difficult. It is. It is. Well, once you get them going, that helps a lot. But I've noticed even Joe Rogan, he's funnier on his podcast just like, you know, just, just in passing than he is with his like setup jokes. I mean, he's a good yeah. comedian. He's a good comedian. I'm yeah. just not a big stand-up fan. Like Bill Burr, obviously, the greats I like. But, uh -huh. And there's some person there named Joe List last night who I met him Joe, um, oh, yeah. when, when Joe Rogan ran ran on stage Joe List stayed there. Mm -hmm. I'm like hey man, what's your name I didn't really know he's a comedian and then watching him on stage I'm like he is one funny fucker oh he was the guy you were talking to he was the guy who I was talking okay. to yeah. right. so I'm like that was pretty cool uh -huh. yeah but being a stand up comic just living in LA would be such a different experience because I'm from Oregon so mm -hmm. I'm just down in LA for a week here um there's so many people. That's the biggest difference. There's just fucking people everywhere. Right. And for people who have only heard about Los Angeles and seen, you know, things on TV, just talk about what it what it was like flying into Los Angeles, into the airport, and then getting on the freeway. And it wasn't even, a, it, there were, right, it was just average traffic in LA. Well, yeah, it was probably noon or 1 p.m. It wasn't even, wasn't even 8 a.m. or 5 p.m., but it was just like, 
stopped. And then as soon as traffic cleared up, my Uber driver was going 85, 90. And then we hit traffic again. So I'm like, we stopped. I'm like, it'd just be better if everyone just kind of went a similar speed, like 60 the whole time. It was chaos. Oh, no. But yeah, all my Uber drivers down here have been just like, just weird. Last night I had one. And he was like, instead of whistling to the song, he was like, shh, 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 shh. I'm like, and he was like playing a kazoo with his mouth. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. And then someone FaceTimed him. He answered the FaceTime while I'm Ubering, while he's pretty much like getting off the freeway. I'm like, what the fuck? And he just mumbles in some other language. And then she mumbles back and then it hangs up. I'm like, what is going on? And we, we actually went down Hollywood Boulevard, which is cool to see. Uh -huh. But that is one dirty place. Just, just trash everywhere and homeless people. Yeah. That's a mess. Yeah. That's true. Lots of a lot of Hollywood is quite seedy. But I've noticed that's everywhere. In Oregon, we have a lot of homeless people, and we think, oh, it's the worst. But I went up to Victoria, Washington with my mom uh, last September, and they had a ton of homeless people. They actually shipped them out for a big event that was coming up. But the, the natives were like, oh, there's tons of them here. And then you come, there's just homeless people everywhere. We need an answer to that. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's so shameful. And, uh, you know, here I am sitting... Talk, we're talking on these expensive microphones, staring at five thousand, six thousand dollars worth of equipment, <laughs> while there are homeless people outside. So, I mean, we're all we all sharing this. I, I mean, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I do uh, directly for for homeless people. There are lots of homeless people in Lakeview Terrace. Quite a few of them are schizophrenics, and I've gone out of my way to hand them money. Like there are there are. It's so amazing. Uh, in running through Lakeview Terrace, my town, there's the Tahunga River, uh, and it is mainly dry. It's running right now, so uh, and it's a huge expanse. Maybe uh, through Lakeview Terrace, it goes for a couple of miles, uh, sort of east-west, and then north-south, it might be a quarter mile wide. So it's a, it's a lot of land, and it can't be developed because every 50 or 100 years, you get a huge flood through there. So it's just basically wide open land, and it attracts a lot of homeless people because they can go down there and, and put up a tent under a tree or something and, and live and not be bothered. So, and for, for the, uh, I've, I've been in my town for about four years and for most of the four years, I avoided the tents. I didn't even want to look at them. You know, I thought, oh, okay, those are crazy homeless people and they're maybe dangerous and I didn't really spend much time dealing with them. Then I started, basically after I started interacting with DMT and also in realizing that DMT was at the root of schizophrenia, I wanted to start engaging with, with these folks. And they're just the most amazing people. We, uh, I'll, I'll introduce you to this guy, Gary. He's, uh, he's 64 years old. He's been homeless in Lakeview Terrace since he was seven years old, a schizophrenic. Can you imagine? He has nothing. He has, like, you know, people are upset because, you know, maybe they can't, uh, get as many Starbucks each day as they might want, or you know, like they, they worry about some expenses. This guy has zero dollars for his whole life. For his whole life, he has zero. Um, and uh, so anyway, I, I I have more money than I need, and I every opportunity I get, I give money directly to people. I don't go through charities. Charities take their cut of the money. You want to help someone? Walk up, uh, walk up to someone who has nothing and hand them something. That's how you help people. And I do that uh, to as many people as I can in Lakeview Terrace. And you can do the same thing in your in your local communities. That makes a huge difference. On Reddit, uh, Reddit.com, they have a system where you can, if you if you get the premium subscription, I forget how much it costs a month. 
you can uh, you get a certain number of coins, and then you can give out coins to other people as basically as awards for creating posts that you find interesting or or funny, funny, Witty. or posting a comment, yeah. right? So I I uh, and you can purchase coins too to give out to people, and I I think I've pur- actually purchased more coins than anyone else in the history of Reddit oh. to give out. Certainly in you know in the past six months, I've spent more money on Reddit than any other human being, probably even the investors. So, um, and people constantly ask me, why are you giving money out on Reddit instead of giving it to charities? Well, first of all, most of the people on Reddit, a lot of them are kids, and plenty of them are adults. They have, most of them are broke. I get messages all the time because uh, uh, when, when you give out an award that costs something to someone who has nothing, they come to you and say, what, why did you do that? That was so nice of you. How much money do you have? And they start inquiring about that. So um, then I get the, the question, well, why are you giving it to me? Why don't you give it to a charity? Well, if you give money to a charity, you pay for the, the executives who run the charity first, basically. And then whatever they don't decide to keep, they sort of you know, dribble out to the, to the needy. And that's just the most, it's just a silly thing to do. If you want to help someone, just hand them some money. Yeah, going back actually a minute, that was, that was, pretty, uh, that was a cultural shock. When I, when I first came to your house, came down, down to LA, had that crazy uh, freeway trip with the Uber driver, yeah. got to your house, and, and I mean, like, we went down to the river and you asked a homeless person, like, hey, you got on money? And he said, yeah. Right. I'm like, what? <laughs> what the kind of situation is that? Yeah, that was, was a guy that I see every so often. And uh, so, so he knows, basically he knows that I'll help him out. And it, if he doesn't need money, he just lets me know he doesn't need money. That's crazy. Yeah. That's they're a, beautiful that's, people. That's a beautiful person. And they're, they're, the, um, in so many families in America and elsewhere... People are really close. They're right on the edge. Like if they miss one check, they lose a, their job and they miss one paycheck. Yeah. They could be in really deep shit. So we're all of us are a lot closer to being homeless than we want to admit. Oh yeah, there's some fact like almost like, like what maybe thirty percent of Americans have more than a thousand in savings. Yeah, that's crazy fact. Right. Yeah. So take a homeless person to lunch. You know. Yeah, but so you're not scared at all because you got to admit like there is some there's got to be some fear there. I mean, I've I've had my fair share of DMT trips too, but like if I go down 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 to Eugene. I'm scared, especially if I had money. I'd be like, well, I guess that's more of the, the tweakers up in Eugene. Like, there's a lot of meth in, in Oregon, which kind of scares me. Meth is a very scary thing and, and best to be avoided at all costs. And Adderall, too. The, like the, it, it's, you start doing Adderall as a kid, and then you get addicted to Adderall, and, and your brain starts to want amphetamines because Adderall is basically methamphetamine. It's very close. So, uh, and, and so amphetamines... Speed kills. Amphetamines do bad things. So yes, when you, when you see a tweaker, it is a scary thing. What I've realized now, because I go out of my way to reach out, is if you make eye contact, eye contact with someone and make it clear that you're going to help them. A lot of times I'll just hold up a bill, right? And they, then they look at the cash and they look at me like, what's going on? And I just hold it out and they realize I'm there to help them. Mm-hmm. The whole situation changes, nice. and then you can yeah you can sort of connect with them. That'd be cool, and you pay some of them. There was a, a guy that came over and he just watered your plants in your backyard. Yeah, do you have an immaculate backyard? Well, <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't go that far, You're but pretty, it's getting it's getting better. Yeah, it's getting better. And yeah, because again, everybody wants to contribute uh, in some way or another and help other people. Mm-hmm. So um, I needed work done in the backyard, and um, these guys have time and energy and a desire, and and. Uh, like they they have they, it's really interesting they have like um 
addresses for themselves in, in the riverbed. Like, you know, um, uh, Jose, for example, comes over and he talks about Gary and says, oh, yeah, you know, Gary's down by the third pepper tree. You know, that's where his house is. That's where his tent is. Um, so, so, so these guys have, you know, what would be considered relatively nice campsites out in the riverbed, but they're still out in the riverbed. So when, if they're asleep, I, I, I guarantee they never really get a good night's sleep. So what I've made clear to uh, these guys is that I can't, I can't have, you know, a thousand homeless people camped out in my backyard every night because it, the, the city would close me down and it would be, a, you know, sort of a catastrophe. But I make clear to them that if they need to get a good night's sleep, they can come into my backyard, put up a tent, and go to sleep. They can do it during the day if they just want to place where they can relax. They want to take a crap. You know, you know what it's like when you're out in public and you need to take a crap, like badly, and there's nowhere to go? Is that one of the worst feelings in the world or not? That's rough. That's rough. So I'm like, hey, look, if you ever need to take a crap, like, don't hesitate. Yeah. Uh, and little little acts of kindness like that just go a really long way. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and like, so, so basically, people I've barely known come to my house, use my bathroom, take a shower, and they're so sweet. I, I walk in, it's cleaner than, you know, when they walked in to begin with. So people shouldn't fear that, you know, doing things like that. Yeah, that actually brings up an interesting topic that I've had with a, uh, one of my professors who I also worked with for a while with the uh, Jackson Street Youth Shelter. So what he does, he, he totally helps people on an individual scale. And I went up to him one day, I'm like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be more effective use of your time to like try to change legislation, like, like somehow fix the bigger picture, like stop the inflow of people becoming homeless? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, is that a, a goal of yours at some point? Well, you know what? That, that's a, sort of a common theme that we all have is pay someone else to solve a problem and that has failed i mean what how much more evidence do we need that let's say paying uh other people like this this whole notion of let's say a carbon tax to reduce uh co2 emissions it's a fucking ridiculous idea because it gives it it basically gives people an out morally okay i don't have to worry about how much co2 i create because i'm paying someone else not to create co2 you know or something like that it's just stupid we need direct action. Don't go through, don't use intermediaries. You don't need a broker to, to be a morally correct person. Yeah, well, here, to go on to the carbon tax thing, my biggest thing about that is who the fuck's going to hold another count, country accountable? Say we do agree and we go over a carbon tax. What's another country going to do? I know. And plus you know, it's, we plus need a way to hold each other, like other countries accountable, like the world in general. We need, a, well, we need to start by every one of us holding ourselves accountable. You know, you look at yourself and you say, okay, what did I do today to use less CO2 or create less carbon dioxide? Use less plastic. Use less plastic. Oh, God. Yeah, it's one the of the things that's just crazy how much plastic we're pumping out into the world. Yeah, I mean, I love Trader Joe's. You go there, though. Everything's plastic. And you're just like, it's heartbreaking. I know. You feel really bad is. to do it, but you're like, what, I am I going to live my life? Like, I can't, like, you know, everything. Right. We, we have to live in the world, right? So mm-hmm. in the world that we live in, almost everything that we buy is so overpackaged. I mean, we wrap, whatever we, we're buying, we have to wrap in plastic, and then we tie it up with all these other cinches and things so it doesn't unravel on the way home. And then we take, we get home, and we cut it apart, and we throw, like, half of what we buy, we just throw right in the trash yeah. because it was packaging. It's insanity. That's pretty crazy. I think everyone's just hoping for that magic bullet, like whatever, the worm that'll eat styrofoam. Like, oh, that'll take care of the problem. It's like, no. Well, the, we need to stop the inflow of it. Yeah, there maybe. may be a worm. And here's the thing, like the, the 
the world has a way of taking care of itself. So I wouldn't doubt that there will be some creature that figures out how to eat and digest plastic. Yeah. But they're going to start with us. Yeah. You know, if they like eating plastic, think of how tasty we're going to be. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. It's like the world will, like, that's the whole scares of climate change. It's not that, like, all life on Earth is going to die. It's going to make it, but humans would die. Right. Humans are yeah. going to be history. So it's like, we're the ones that have to worry about it. Plants, plants are, couldn't be happier that there's all that CO2. Yeah, very true. Yeah, they're loving it. Yeah, it'll and all they, balance out. Plants, as they grow faster, they need plant food. And, you know, that's, yeah, well. Really, though. That's you guys if you're not doing DMT. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting topic. Reddit has some Reddit's like the whole world is very strange with DMT because no one's tried it and everyone's like, they're not even been fear mongered to it. They just have no idea what it is. And they just hear drug and they're like, oh, it's bad. It's such yeah. a weird connotation to drugs, like right. things to have that. Yeah. You know? But I mean, methamphetamine, that's scheduled too. You know, there's no logic. There's no it. logic whatsoever. I mean, think of all the people who spent some people, you know, a better part of their lives in jail because of marijuana uh, charges, <laughs> no, yeah. right? How heinous that is now that marijuana is basically legal everywhere or just not criminalized and everyone knows. In the U.S. In the U.S. And, yeah, but it's just a matter of time before all that's gone. And then we need to take a real accounting of our, uh, I mean, that how terrible we have been as a country and as a people to put people behind bars, put people in cells and cages because they smoked something that made them feel good or helped them sleep a little or helped them with chemotherapy. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, as soon as you say drug, it really, people go crazy. Timothy Leary, who uh, I admire as a someone who just had a huge effect, right, in the world, on, in America, on culture, he said that uh, LSD created uh, insanity in people who hadn't taken it. And... It's true. Like anyone who has done DMT That's pretty funny. will tell you that you don't need to fear it. It's the most amazing thing in the world. It's incredible. It has all these incredible benefits and, and it, you, you learn all these things and it lasts for two minutes and your whole life is better. And the people who haven't done it are like, no, it's going to kill you. know, It's terrible. Don't do it. It's a psychedelic. It's a drug. You're going to be addicted. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's kind of like the whole Graham Hancock thing that happened recently. No, not Graham know. Hancock. Uh the mushroom, when mushrooms got uh, legalized oh, in Denver. Michael Pollan. Yeah, Michael Pollan. Michael Pollan. Yeah, Michael Pollan. Who was like such an advocate for it. He's like, no, now maybe not. And I mean, maybe I don't have the full picture. There's there's a whole thing where it's well, like if something's decriminalized, it's the way of the the legality of it being like, okay, we don't have to legalize it. We mm -hmm. can just decriminalize it as a way of like cutting it off. So I see kind of where he's coming from. I don't at all. I think he's a complete and utter nitwit. And yeah. in fact, he's got he should be any. skewered for this. Skewered. No, really. I mean, what a dweeb. First of all, the guy is, he, he's, a, he's a mediocre mind at best, right? He writes, okay, he's written a few vanilla-flavored books that taste good for vanilla-liking people. But he he was afraid to do psychedelics through college because his brain, I guess, is really delicate and he has better thoughts than other people and doesn't want to risk that in the future. Well, I got news for you. It's just not the case. So then he grows a, a couple of hairs on his balls and decides to try psilocybin and has a fantastic experience. Then, so then he feels like after a handful of experiences writing a book about his, his, uh, so he writes, he, whatever, his book was, uh, I forget the title of his book, right? Uh, no idea. Something, you know, I'm Michael Pollan, whatever. 
and talking about the benefits of psilocybin for people who are dying. Because basically, when someone wants to test a new drug on people, they find people who are almost dead, and then they say, hey, you take it. You know, like, what do you have to lose? You take it. So there were some few uh, studies done with people in late stages of cancer, give them psilocybin. And basically, everyone who, had, who was in late stages of cancer and have taken psilocybin love it. Because they realize, because you get to see that there's a spirit world, and you don't get, you're not so concerned about the afterlife. So Michael Pollan comes out and says, "Yeah, this is this is really interesting, really important for us to take psilocybin seriously." So then Denver has the wherewithal to decriminalize psilocybin, Denver, Colorado, and this netwit Michael Pollan comes out and says, "Not so fast on decriminalizing psilocybin." We're like, what the fuck are you thinking? So this is, I think, this is what's in this guy's head is empty head is he now is the ambassador for psilocybin so all the thinking about psilocybin in the u.s has to somehow be filtered through his brain yeah. it's i mean i just don't get it we don't want to slow down good ideas if something is a good idea promote it accelerate it what a nitwit yeah it's rough when people try to like just make themselves the ambassador for anything. As soon as they try, they're like, oh, I've always been on this train. It's like, come on, we're all on this train. Just chill out. I consider myself an ambassador for DMT. I'm not against that. I'm saying accelerate it. I want more people to, so I'm really getting tired of talking about this. I want more people to take the lead. Once they do it, they're going to take the lead. Michael Pollan wants fewer people. He wants you to have to buy his books. Yeah. And that's you know? the toxicity of a lot of religions that kind of be like, oh, you can't speak to God, though, but we can. Exactly. Just right. kind of like the hierarchies. They're trying to make a hierarchy out of psychedelics. It's like, well, right. it's not really nonsense. the point of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because it really is something you got to see for yourself. Like once you take psychedelics, you're like, there's no way anyone could describe any of this. Everything just becomes so real. Right. So quick. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a very personal thing. It, it'd be like. Uh, it is very personal. Let's say, let's say the relationship. Think about it this way. You have a certain relationship, let's say, with your uh, your father, right? And you know your father, and your father knows you, and you and, and there's a relationship that just the two of you share, right? Think about if someone came up to you and described, tried to tell you about your relationship with your father, yeah. right? Now they might have a certain view of, of your relationship, but they don't know what your relationship is like with your father. Mm-hmm. Well, someone who hasn't done psychedelics talking to someone who has is just trying to do something like that. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Uh, well, what's weird is that people th- see it in the same way that like they see alcohol and nicotine, where you take, you take one of those drugs and you're like, oh, you get a very classic and easy to define effect, you know? You're like, oh, time's moving a little faster, I'm a little sloppy, your things are a little fuzzy, your nicotine, mm-hmm. just get a head rush, like oh, things are a little spacey. So people think that all drugs are like that, but it's like, that's not the case whatsoever, you know? Yeah, with, with psychedelics especially, things, uh, like, well, let's say with alcohol, when you drink a beer, like, you relax. The world gets a little softer around the edges, a little Pretty defined fuzzier. effects each time, though. You get more or less the same thing. Right, you know we're getting well. It's sort of true with psychedelics too, but the the, oh, the, the difference. Every trip is so different. No, you no, get no, a but, similar no, 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 vibe. But, but but the point I want to make is that the the visual effects, the sensory effects, things only get more clear. Like with alcohol, the world gets fuzzier, mm-hmm. it gets looser, it gets it's easier, it's sloppy. Yeah. 
Psychedelics things get more precise. There's no wasted space. Yeah, you know, psychedelics it's, are like a time thing for me more than anything. They make time speed up a lot, and you realize how fast it's going and how fleeting it is, and you're like, fuck, I want it to slow down. And then you come off, and you're like, thank God it's not going that fast all the time. Whereas other things speed up time, and you're grateful for it. You're like, oh, thank God I get to get through this day. And like people are just kind of like living their life, like trying to fast forward, like the movie uh, Click. You know, I didn't uh, with Adam Sandler, he just keeps fast forwarding through his life. People are trying to do that. And it's like you build these lives where it's, you are just selling your time for money mm-hmm. to support a life where you can sell your time for more money. And it's just an yeah. endless cycle of shit, you know. And and I don't know. People like Joe Rogan, Rogan always say uh, that it's like, you know, you should follow your dreams. And people will say that's bullshit. We all can't do it. But he's like, that's bullshit. We all can. I'm like, I think if our uh, everyone's goal was to help as many people as they can in the way that they want to. Like Kenzie, my, my person, she wants to help people one-on-one more, like a doctor or like a nurse kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And I get that, but that's not for me. I want to do something that scales well, such as a podcast or I'm making an app with a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, something that scales well, so hundreds of thousands of people can get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get that that doesn't have that personalized, like I'm not helping you directly. You really like you're, helping people no, directly. you're totally helping me directly. Yeah, well, but you know what I mean. Like I'm not I'm not directly seeing every one of my viewers, but but like you're directly helping each one of the the people that you're helping support. So there's different ways of helping people, and uh-huh. you just got to do it just enough to support a comfortable life, which is really 40 grand, 50 grand for a lot of people. You don't need that much. Right. You just have to pay, you know, cover your bills. Cover your bills. Make and, a little savings. Uh, yeah, having extra money is, yeah. can really. Well, it's not worth a buffer. Anyway, it's not worth spending your time in a way that's unhappy to make more money than you absolutely need. Absolutely true. Yeah, it's a weird life, but but society just wants you to make as much money as you can. Be right, we were talking about that yesterday. We're we're when we live in a world here in the U.S. where we feel guilty about taking days off, you know, yep. people feel guilty about using all their vacation time. We get like less vacation than any other country in the world. I don't know if that's true, but we don't get, you know, all that much vacation compared yeah. to how much we work. And then you feel guilty about taking vacation. And it's just so, it's so silly. Yeah. Like, and again, once you realize there's a God, like, do you think God put us on earth to work and, yeah. and jobs that we don't just like? to work for made-up money that's just going in a circle. Right. And, th- you know, there's uh, – you were talking about how, um, you know, people think – and we, we talk a lot about Joe Rogan. We, we love Joe Rogan. The guy's great. Funny guy. He's, he's super interesting. I love it w- with his guests. I like he, the way he's helping out the world. He, he is. He's great. And he really prepares for his guests. When, he, when you walk in and he does an interview, he knows about the, the person's history. What, first of all, why they're there, what they want to promote, what they've done in the past, what he disagrees with. He, he uh, talks to people. He sort of confronts them on their bullshit yeah. and then hears them out, right? Yeah. So it's a great long-form interview. And so, the, so the, when you know, people think, okay, yeah, sure, Joe Rogan has that life, but I can't. Right, and it's and it's not true. Mm-hmm. It's not a zero sum game. Just because someone has some has a lot of something doesn't mean that the rest of us have to have less. It really isn't the case. And Jim Carrey is a really strong advocate for this too. And he's he's uh, you know done the ayahuasca thing and DMT, and it becomes so clear when you do it. It's like the the universe. There's there's more than enough for everyone. Oh yeah, and and. Uh, you know, anyone who's listening to this and thinking, well, you know, how, how could I ever do that? No, you really can. And it's going to, it's really, it's going to happen. Like all of you listening, you know that you can do this and that everyone has an incredible story to tell that's really beautiful. And if you just really, if you just follow your dreams and, and have faith, you can make them happen. And it's just so much fun. 
I easily could have been like, oh, Joe Rogan's already got the, the, the podcasting thing capitalized. I should just not even get into it. But I'm like, you know what? I put a, I, I make step, uh, steps for it. It's called, uh, my advisor, Nelson, who I have a podcast with, calls it planned happenstance, where you don't necessarily know your goal. I didn't know I was going to be doing podcasts, but I learned audio engineering. Then I learned video engineering. And then I got the equipment. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and now here I am. You just got to start, set a goal, and you start taking steps toward it. And, you know, right. eventually you'll get somewhere. It might not be where you planned, but you yeah. got to. You can't just see it as a song, like a oh the game's already over right. Well, yeah, that, and it, I think it's a good point where you you don't know if it's going to go where you planned, but that you don't have to end up where you plan to go. Yeah. If, if if like getting to a place that you could plan to was easy, everyone would already have done it, right? So, like, just start, just pursue a dream, and then in the process of pursuing that dream, you discover that you. This other dream is even more interesting or whatever. And you just learn so much along the way. Yeah. Speaking on that a little bit, um, just kind of on on following your dream but making too much money and stuff. So you worked a job that you may not have been super happy for. I see it all the time on this subreddit called FIRE, uh, Financial Independence Retire Early, where people will say questions like, I make $2 million million a year, but I want to kill myself. Like, this job makes me hate life. I have to Mm -hmm. work eight hours a week. Like, should I quit? And if I quit, I'm going to regret it. Like, what do I do? So were you in a similar situation like that, and and how do you feel about it? Yeah, I was. I made. Uh, I wasn't making like millions and millions and millions of dollars. I was making more than I needed to make, and I tried to kill myself three times. Right. I mean, I had a dream life. Really, really, I did. I was, uh, you know, always a top kid in my class. I was a popular kid. I was a funny kid. I was in high school. I was county champ in cross country and track and. Uh, I was on the basketball team and the baseball team. I was uh, in student government. I was valedictorian. I went to Yale. I majored in biochemistry and biophysics. I married one of the most popular girls in my class, Dana. And we have two beautiful boys. Uh, Dana comes from a very wealthy family. Uh, the I started my own business when I was in what my early 30s. I uh, sold that after... Nine years and became a you know millionaire, and uh, since then I've run two other companies. Been all around the world. I've been uh, a mountain biker, a, a blue water uh, spear fisherman. I could dive down just holding my breath, no tanks or anything. I could dive down a hundred feet. I could stay down for up to three minutes. I've speared tuna, hundreds of pounds, fish that weigh over a hundred pounds in the middle of the ocean with sharks coming in to like attack me. I've done crazy things that people only see on TV and read about. I tried to kill myself three times. So it's really important that you have a job that you love. Because if you're just doing things because you feel like you have to make a lot of money, you're never going to be satisfied. And so that's that's where I found myself. And that's what led me to DMT was the fact that I kept trying to kill myself. Do you think you were lonely? Is that a part of why you killed yourself? Like, did you have a support net, or were you were you not really having a support no, net? No, I didn't. On top I was too. I mean, I had two kids and a, and a wife and people that were working with me and you know, quote unquote, for me. I was surrounded by people, but I couldn't. No, I didn't feel like I was ever really being understood or reaching anyone because I wasn't reaching myself. I I was living in this world where I felt I had to fulfill other people's obligations of me. And early on, I bought into the idea that, you know, uh, I grew up in a small town on, in, in uh, Suffolk County, New York, on Long Island, called Wading River. My dad was a New York City fireman. 
so growing up, and my mom, um, she, she worked later in life as a librarian. My dad used to say, you, you don't want to be a fireman. You want to you do well in school and be a doctor or a lawyer. And, you know, in, in our world, the doctor and the lawyer, they, they were like the rich people. So be a doctor or a lawyer. I didn't want to be a lawyer. I mean, I mean, who really wants to be a lawyer, ultimately? Who wants to be a doctor? Who wants to be a doctor, too. So, But I, through Yale, I was deciding, okay, I'm going to be a doctor, be a doctor, be a doctor. Then I, when I graduated, I was had some financial debt, and I just realized I didn't want to go, go back to school. So I decided not to be a doctor. So, I, But anyway, there were all these expectations of me. Some of them I put on myself. Some of them were put up by my parents and my friends saying, you got to go be a doctor or whatever. You, get, you have to, you know, you're the smartest kid in school. You're going to be rich. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. And, the, and at, you know, in, by the time I was in my mid-50s, I was like, all these things that I thought I wanted to be or that these things that these expectations that I had to fulfill for myself and fulfill for other people are just not doing it for me. I'm not happy. And uh, so any of you who feel that, and I hope that if you, that you do, you recognize it and you realize that don't, if you're doing something and you feel uneasy about it, you really have to find a way to change it. And it's not that difficult. You just have to have, just have faith that the universe is gonna take, like there's a God. God's not going to let you fuck up. Just go for your dreams. It's going to work out. You say it's not that difficult, but it's it no, takes a lot of work. There's a lot. There's a lot of rough and tumble in the mid in the midway. Absolutely, you know? and I, I and get then this. there's no end too. You get to the end, and then you realize you have a new goal, and there's going to be more rough and tumble till you get there. Well, they're, right, they're, but why should there be an end? I mean, like if things are going well, do you really want them to end? I mean, no, right. So, yeah. um, and again, so then, then people will say, "Well, it's easy for you to say you're a millionaire." Uh, you know, valid. Va- yeah, sure, it's valid, but um, what? And so, so, okay, take it from this viewpoint. I'm a millionaire, and I'm telling you all the ways that I could have been a millionaire even sooner, or I could have been happier than I am now even sooner if I had just done these things. And what? And those? What those things are? Follow your dreams. Whatever you, whatever, whatever you do when you're not at work. When you're at school or whatever, or at work, and you're thinking of what you want to do when you're not at work, that's what you should do all the time. Find a way to do that all the time, and just start doing it all the time. And, and I'm telling you, you'll you'll find a way to make the money doing that thing. It is possible. It's hard to get people to follow their dreams. I think school, for the first off, just crushes you. I heard recently that it's built to uh, get you ready for a factory with like a bell going off. You go, you sit, you listen. Right. So you're meant to just be like, all right, like like for quite a while of your life, you're meant to just follow, follow instructions. Yeah. So Was it hard. Pavlov's dog? Yeah. So right. it's hard to be like, it's hard to break out and be like, believe in yourself. And if you have parents that, that are kind of in that same realm of like, all right, yeah, just, just go get a job. Right. It's hard. How are you going to be a free thinker? It is. It's very difficult. We need a new school system. And people are not even paying attention in school anymore because phones are more interesting. we got to stop having boring-ass math and reading and like reading Lord of the Flies. Like, what the fuck is that? Have I, people read... I don't know. That, that was actually a good book. Yeah, but, but fiction doesn't help people in their early 10s and 20s as much as reading something like a Meg Jay or Jordan Peterson book. Like, that would help people so... Like, yeah, I think I people learn a lot from fiction. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Agreed. You know, people people need we, another figure beside their parents and teachers, and and authors can be. Yeah. Good, no. You know. No. Absolutely. I I agree. Um, true. It's a mess. There's so most many things of, that need to get fixed. I I, I agree. Uh, yeah. Most of what you learn in school is really ridiculous. And okay, here's a, here's another thing that's really important. 
Okay, and so so we were talking about earlier how uh, the what what DMT dimethyltryptamine when you inhale it, it your brain kicks into like high gear, so we can process much more information than you normally can. Also, our nervous systems they're information processing systems, but they are also antenna to the universe. So. Uh, the age-old question is, how does God speak to any one of us individually, right? There are so many of us, and there's like one God. How could, he, how could he talk to all of us? Well, the way it happens is, think of it this way. Our nervous systems are basically, basically like an antenna, and God is a broadcast system. A, uh, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to use uh, radio waves as the uh, wavelength of electromagnetism, electromagnetic waves, that are used to interact with God. So basically, humans were all radio controlled by God. And when and when you put DMT in your head, you you become aware of that connection. Now again, don't you know you you radio freaks out there? Don't freak out. It's not radio waves. Well, it might not be radio waves, but it's some you know electromagnetic radiation. Some spectrum that we don't. Know. Some spectrum that we may not even be aware of at this point. And so the God. The universe, God, puts out this broadcast that you can tap into. And you, when you tap into it, it's like tuning a, 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 you know, a radio dial on a, on a radio. When you get to the frequency that, where the broadcast is happening, zoop, all the information that you need comes to you. So uh, I, I talked about how uh, DMT and, and the connection to that universal broadcast explains animal instincts, for example, and migration. There, because... I think, for example, there were I, I've got um, ducks in my backyard, and they they're laying eggs all over the place, and you know ducklings hatch. Ducklings come out of an egg. It takes them duck lays an egg, and about I don't know twenty twenty five twenty six days later, the egg hatches. Little duck comes out of the egg, knows how to run around, like it's 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 um, wings are like flapping around. It's when it when it like a duck filter feeds. So this thing that is like minutes old. Can stick its beak in water like and and like this just this is the most amazing creature. And you have to wonder like, okay, how's it get like it's all that capability? Is that all coming out of the DNA being expressed into proteins? It's like no, the the physical aspects of a living thing result from the proteins and and carbohydrates and fats that compose that living system. But the wisdom and the knowledge and the information that thing needs from birth is coming from a cosmic broadcast. What we're going to find out, I guarantee this. I'll, in fact, I'll pay someone to prove me wrong about this. Put up a million bucks if someone can prove me wrong that DMT is in the heads of, let's say, ducklings. When, they, when they're born, they, they're now tapped into the, the universal broadcast and they know what to do. If a, if, a, if a duck is born and its mother is gone, right, and so it, it gets hatched, maybe it's the first duckling hatched, and, and there's a little thing of food there and water, the duckling walks over to the food and starts eating the food and drinking the water, like just like basic things. You're, you come out of an egg, and you're, how do you even know to drink or to swallow or anything? So the, um, there's this cosmic broadcast. Uh, I sort of forget how I got started on this whole harangue, but... Uh, so so uh, 
I was I was in my backyard the other day, and I had taken a video that I wanted to post up on Reddit. And uh, I was out of the range of my Wi-Fi, so my my iPhone was. But I processed this video on my iPhone, and then I have Verizon as my carrier. I start uploading this video to, to Reddit, and I, it was taking like over five minutes. I was getting sort of impatient. And then I started thinking, how, wow, this is amazing. I've, I'm holding this, this phone, and the battery that operates the phone, that transmits this digital information to a cell tower that's several miles away, the power needed to do that is much, much lower than the power being generated by my brain right now. So my brain, our brains, when we're operating, we're immersed in this cosmic broadcast that's being emitted by God. We have more power than our iPhones. That's how we're interacting with God. And, it's, and that should not be, so anyone who, who doubts any of that, just use your head a little bit, do the math. That, that's how it works. And once you realize that, it's so beautiful. So, so once, and once you know that you've got a connection to God, just follow your freaking dreams, you know? Yeah. He'll, like, God will show you the way. And just, so, so you're not like a, a Christian religion no, of God. No, so, no. so what's your perception of God when you keep, you keep mentioning Again, that? my perception of God is I'm not a religious person. I don't read the Bible. I know very little about any particular religion. Uh, the creator, like whoever's, whoever created all this, and someone did create this. You see it when you the the once your brain is enabled with DMT, you can see all this visually. You just see it. Uh, once you know that there's there's a purpose to people. So, what what God is 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 the entity out there that created all this and wants us to have fun and be kind to each other and create a beautiful world. So that's really what God is. God is the, God is the energy out in the universe that wants us to have fun and be kind to each other. Do you have thoughts on what happens after you die? Do you get to go meet him, meet your maker? It's, it's really interesting. I don't know. Like in that near-death experience I had where I saw uh, in, a, in a clear blue sky when I, I was, went back on, on my back and I looked up, this, this angel on horseback sort of created this circle of, of cloud and down so, so there was the outside of the tube that came down so people over here couldn't really see through the cloud part and then down from the middle of it came like Rapunzel I think it was Rapunzel's hair that came down that formed a ladder and uh, so I'm looking up and, and, uh, and then something like this little like un baby unicorn or something dropped down and ran into my garden and uh, so yeah it's beautiful so, you know, looking up there, I want to go up there. But I'm not sure that what, like, that might be only one stop along the way. I really think, part of me thinks that humanity's going to be, like, that now that we've screwed up Earth enough, uh, just with pollution and all that, part of me thinks that humanity's going to be, like, whisked off to something, like, our next planet is being prepared for us right now. Like, the maid is, you know, making the bed, and it's almost ready for us to be delivered. Yeah, and if anyone thinks any of this sounds crazy, I mean, just think about where we are. Like, why does time exist? Why are we on this planet flying through space? Like, what's what's any of this? You know, how is any of this more rational than that? Oh, without question. Um, and also think about this question. How is it possible for, for me to just, like, make up these things? 
let me just, I want to um, elaborate a little more on this near-death experience, cool. right? So I'm in my backyard. It was about 9 o'clock one morning on a beautiful day. So blue sky up above me. I did like basically three large inhales of DMT. And sometimes when, when you really do a full dose, you're sort of convinced that, oh, now, oh, shit, I've really done it and I'm going to die. So, so I thought, okay, I'm, I might be dying. I laid back, and and my dog Jed, who rarely, he always wants to lick me, but I almost never let him like really lick my face. He ran up and just covered my face in saliva, and I laughed. And then he ran away. I laid back, and this you know this winged uh, horse angel shows up and creates this cloud tube that can, can form cover for this Rapunzel to put her hair down or whatever, and. Then these, basically all these, the, 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 the blue sky became sort of like milkish. And then as you look closer into this milky thing, that you realize these are all these like creatures, like these bug creatures with these demon-like faces. So like some of the demons that people see, like schizophrenic, when they see demons, they're really just these tiny little things that, that sort of feed on the, I think like on the dead skin on your face. So, so all these creatures come out of the sky. They're like floating around in air and they're there all the time, but you only see them when you're, when you're enabled by DMT. So these creatures are eating the little flakes of skin, little cells, dead cells off your face and, and licking like, or smelling the saliva from my dog jet or something. Then this out of the, out of the uh, ether floats down this, the, the ghost of a, Cow. It looked like a like a huge cow, like a water buffalo or something. So this water buffalo face drifts down and starts like smelling my face, like it's smelling Jed saliva or something. At this point, I think all of these things thought I had died because I'm just laying there like this. So and so so I think what happens is we talked about whether or not DMT is released by the pineal at death and transport your soul up up, up to heaven. So I think what happened is I had had enough DMT in my brain where my brain started putting out the signal to the universe that, hey, this guy might be coming up. Get ready. And then so all these things that start feeding on you when you die, realize, hey, that guy's dying. Go over to him. And uh, But then at a certain point, they realize, oh, this, this guy's not going to die. He's alive. So like the horse you know, flew off and... Um, the, the cow with this water buffalo thing that had been hovering above me when I started to move it like took off and, and, and this happened over the span of like two and a half minutes now ask yourself I think you, you've come to the conclusion that I'm fairly articulate well spoken I'm clearly not insane or crazy am I making who could even make this shit up why would you would you stay insane? you're not selling anything <laughs> no I'm not selling anything yeah okay right I'm making the whole thing up a cow, like a water buffalo ghost comes up and smells my dog's saliva off my face? Come on. There's a god, please. Yeah. But then what's it all for? It's for fun. We're supposed to fun? have fun. Then that's a fucked up world that we built. <laughs> right. We built it if you're not, not having fun, fun. You're, not, you're not doing what you're supposed yeah, to especially do. Especially capitalism. But again, back to earlier, just like don't even enjoy your free time off. You should be working. You shouldn't even right. sleep. Just fucking work. Yeah. That's, that's the world we built. Right. But, you know, the, the, on high, the guy giving the orders, I mean, is he, is he working all day? Is he fun? Is he having fun? I don't think I don't anyone. Don't the know. whole chain of capitalism is actually having fun. Yeah. They're all just wanting money, which just isn't even real. And it's just like, what the, f like money really, 
doesn't even seem real when you really look at it. And something only like like 5% of, of the money circulating is actually money, 95% of it's debt. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? Or credit, whatever. It's all going on. It's like, what's going on? Well, you know? I know it's crazy. Like, I, don't, I think most people don't know this about banks. Like banks, for a bank to loan out, uh, let's say a, a uh, well, if a bank has a million dollars to its, you know, in its vault or whatever, it can loan out, uh, what is it, uh, $10 million or something? I, I forget what the ratio is. But it's not like, you know, banks have to keep 100% of what they loan out sort of on their books. They don't. They can loan multiples out of what, of what they have, their assets. That's why if everyone went to the bank at the same day and asked for their money, you couldn't get it back because that's not how the system works. So, so w- when you realize that the, the people who have all the money, they're loaning you money that you have to pay back 100% of, they're not loaning their money. It's, they're, they're basically... Numbers. It's numbers. It's just numbers. So you have to pay back 100% and you better not be late. But you're paying money back that doesn't even exist. They never even had. They never even had. It's weird thoughts. Yeah. The reserve ratio, whatever the hell it is. Okay. Yeah. But then what's the next step? Something's clearly going to happen with the whole well, automation. Well, I'll tell you, the first thing that's going to happen is we're going to have a, the Dow's going to crater. It's going to be a bloodbath. And so right now, if you own stocks, sell your stocks right now. Uh, I mean, just use your head. It's been a the market's been expanding since uh, 2010 or something, right? We were back to almost where we were before the September 2008 meltdown. It's not going to go up much more. So you're not going to lose anything by selling, but it's definitely going to go down a lot. So just sell right now, like sell today. Call your broker and say, "I want to sell." Um, there are these uh, like unsophisticated investors who think that, oh, I've got a stop loss with my broker. So if the market goes down to a certain point, I just sell. Yeah, it just makes it go worse. Well, what happened? Okay, the, the way a stop loss works is if the, your mark, if someone wants to buy your stock at the price you set as your stop loss, sure, that transaction will happen. But when the market is just plummeting and no one wants to buy your stock at the level that you set as your stop loss, you think. You think that's that's not how it works. You're going to lose all your money. And then it just goes down lower and it just keeps going. Sell no one's buying. all your stock today. Yeah. And uh, so so there's going to be, I mean, the Middle East, there's going to be a war in the Middle East. Between the Middle East? Or between no, the Middle East? in the Middle East. Well, the U.S. is about to invade Iran. It's, we're, it, like, it's becoming really clear. John Bolton, who's got really just has his head up his ass. I mean, talk about a guy with just really low expectations. And I mean, the guy is afraid of everything. Everybody, John Bolton is like afraid of everything. Everyone is like gonna hurt John Bolton. And now he's got it up his ass that Iran has to be taken out. But because things worked out so well the last time we invaded a Middle East, Eastern country. Uh, So when we invade Iraq, it's gonna be way worse than Iran. Israel's gonna be attacked immediately by Iran. So, so then the whole Middle East is going to explode. We're basically in the in the Third World War. And I mean, do I even need to really expand on that? The uh, so so sell your stocks, and then the the U.S. dollar is going to uh, just crater. And again, the only people who are going to be hurt by this, and they're not even going to be hurt; they're just going to be inconvenienced, 
are the, are the fabulously wealthy, the people who most of their assets are on paper at Goldman Sachs, at all these banks, those guys are going to be inconvenienced because they don't have all those numbers on a piece of paper. But the rest of us are going to be liberated. That's how it should be. It's going to be a rough little middle, though, before people are liberated. It's going to be fucking tough. People not for starving. Not for me, not for you, not for... I don't think so. How's the system even going to run? Why would, like, you know, well, everyone goes and buys all the food from Costco. Why would Costco go get more food if there's no money, if money's not worth anything? Well, because if, here, here's, here's the thing. If, just go through this thought experiment. Okay. Let's say that I say, to, we, we just say that money is illegal. You're not allowed to give it to anyone else. You're not allowed to take it from anyone else. So let's say that your landlord right now comes to you and says, well, I need the rent. You say, I don't have the rent. I'm not giving you the rent. I'm not giving you your money. He says, well, how am I supposed to pay my mortgage? And you say, you don't have to pay your mortgage. He says, what about the banker who takes my money? The banker's not allowed to take your money. So, I don't, so the landlord says, so I don't have to pay my banker. You say, no. So, so then the banker says, well, you, to the landlord, you get no, you got to pay me for your mortgage. And, and the landlord says, no. Everyone just says, no, I'm not going to pay any money for anything. And it just goes in a big circle. So then no one owes anyone anything. Everyone just keeps what they currently have, right? Again, who loses? The only people that lose are people who have lots of money well, somewhere we in a bank. Well, if we keep what we have right now, the people who have a lot right now do have a lot of houses. Like, they would They be. do. And that's why I'm not advocating for, like, some type of revolution no where, where where people are no it's beyond communism you can't even put a label on this I'm not advocating that people who have a lot of assets need to be all those things taken away from them right but so so you have bill gates sitting in his massive house up on lake washington or wherever it is no keep that fine but all that money you had on paper is not really going to help you anymore so now if you want your maid to come over and clean up after you you better be nice to the maid because she can go anywhere else and spend her time, right? But you, you, so people are going to have to be nice her? to how each other. How do you other. reimburse her for coming and helping you? You, you give her you a give computer. Her computer. <laughs> you want to, you, you know, come over and I'll teach you how to use Windows. I would recommend going with a, with a, the iOS and, you know, get a Mac. Get them to buy you a Mac. Um, how do you buy you a Mac? There's no because, money. Because there are people who like building computers, they like going to the computer factory and making computers. There are people who like creating software. All those people are still enabled. I do think keep for this to happen, that. automation would need to take over factory jobs. No one wants to well, go do and do, make right one now? fucking screw on something. Yeah, but so so a little bit more is going to need to happen for that to happen. People don't want to be oh, truck we have drivers, time. and they only there do are people who want to be truck drivers. They really so? absolutely not as many as we need. I think a lot of people do it just to make money. A lot of people, like the majority of people you know, do look, things to make money. I'm in a situation, I don't have to go to the office every day. I have a lot of time. When you have, when you have all day, eventually you want little different things you want to do. Driving a truck is a great way to see the world, see the country. Drive cross country, take a, take a you know, an 18-wheeler cross country. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, they, they've got those cabs. I mean, they've got like a, they're, they, it's like a, being a turtle going cross country. You, you just sleep in your body, you know? Yeah. Well, how about... So Andrew Yang's running for us. So I think that's a good like medium, bringing UBI in and automating jobs. 
to liberate people a little bit from, uh-huh. from that's the thing the biggest goal is make it so people don't have to sell their time to put one screw in one part of something and send it off like liberate those people from their jobs and then let's move up and up we can't radically change all at once it'd be fucking chaos people would be dying people would be like you have that house now what if I murder you and take that house see I, I disagree I don't think it works unless it happens all at the same time because if if it's incremental who do you think is going to be directing it it's the rich people who are going to be saying you know uh, if the system I don't need to right give now. you money but you still need to give me money it all has to change simultaneously right everything costs I know that's a lot. how it all is. businesses don't want to they don't have enough employees and they don't pay their employees enough everyone's like we're understaffed we're doing too much work and we're not getting paid enough like something is going to break eventually. it is it's going to break I'm like, think you exactly about your job right happen. now is it understaffed and are you being underpaid the answers are probably yes yeah, it's like okay. Well, where's the where's the cutoff? Just so some fucking administrator can make more money. That's exactly what happens. And then they're unhappy. They're trying to kill themselves. What the fuck's the point of any of it? I agree. So, so the, again, the the question that you have to ask yourself is, what do you do at your job that you would do no matter what? Like even if you weren't being paid, you'd want to go because you believe in in the cause or whatever. You believe in the product. And then and and think about people that you pay for services. If you didn't, there was no money to pay them. How would you convince them to give you those services? Basically, it boils down to you need to be nice to them. You, you, people need to give other people a reason to give them the time of day. And when we get rid of money and currency, well, and time the, would and be the, the currency only then. Cu- right when time and when time is the only currency, it's going to be a beautiful world. And I really think it's not that far into the future. But how would it be much more different than money is now? Because if you think about it, because you don't have to worry about money. Yeah, but you're selling your time for money. It's, That's it's what as I'm if saying. you just so exchange you your time for money. Right, but just think about it. You're not uh, – just imagine that money does not exist. Like, you know that crows live in a world without money, and they do quite fine. Chimpanzees don't exchange money for yeah, things. They're fine, but they're not as fine as we are. Like, Tell that to a chimpanzee. Crows laugh at us. I, I I doubt it. I think people a hundred hundreds of years ago, I think people monkeys, before money were invented. Monkeys are swinging around in trees, banging all day. Yeah, but they also murder each other, like in horrible you, rampages. You've, you've seen L.A.? I mean, I come on. I've seen L.A. I don't know. I think you can make arguments both ways that it either is or isn't better. But I think there's a whole quote, like a rising uh, tide lists all ships. I think as as technology gets better... Every single person's life gets better, Agreed, and technology is only going to get better if, if without money. Like, but like Elon Musk should have more money than me. I want people Why? who are innovative. He doesn't need more money because he needs to, to like he but, needs money but, to innovate and start new but companies. Listen, no, he doesn't. If you're, I really think you're you're not. I'm not. It's my fault. I'm not explaining this well enough. Just imagine that. Imagine a world where money was not invented, mm-hmm. so people just had to. If someone has a good idea, if you're with someone and you're out in the middle of the woods or something, then who makes someone decisions? has a good idea? Who's the president? Is there none? No, there is none. Well, the situation, the situation becomes the boss. I'm a big fan of the Grateful Dead, and uh, there's Pete. Uh, I'm not Pete. Um, Steve Parrish was a roadie for the Grateful Dead, and he talked about how the best laid plans of the of the, of the band. Would would go out the window when something would break. So let's say they 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 used to travel across the country, back and forth across the country all the time. So some part would break on one of their trucks, that uh, and they couldn't find the the part to get to the next show. So that the broken part became the boss, because until the the need of that thing was satisfied, nothing else was going to happen. So that thing is the boss. So the situation becomes the boss, and Elon Musk 
uh, yeah, the guy's a genius. He's creating incredible stuff. But so he just has to inspire people. And then people who want to be around him and help him in his mission, they're not, if, if there's no money involved, they'll still show up for work. Right, And then there are going to be people who run the grocery stores and people who grow food. Well, the people who grow bananas at their, at their farm, they're, they're, they'll keep enough bananas for their family, right? And then they want to give the other bananas out for other people to eat. So, so they're going to give the bananas out to the people who need, they need to get a car from, right? And it, none, no money has to be exchanged. So I think it's, it's, like, it's doable. It really is doable. You'll see because it's going to happen. Okay, but... Um, coming from my perspective, I think it's like a like a more or less a time saver to have things at least partially the way they are now. So say, it's kind of like one of those things like a life hack where you By have the to way, bring ten things worry. outside. Don't worry, it things makes more are the sense way they are to now. carry everything all out at once rather than take one thing outside and then take the other thing outside. That's what it'd be like to do one thing for one person and do another thing for another person. You do everything for one person, you get money that you can then spend on all those things. No, because you, again, you're if if just just again, imagine at midnight tonight. All forms of currency disappear, okay. and you and all your debts disappear. Yeah. What would change? The so grocery when, stores would stop being full of food. The gas why? stations would but stop. No, because the people who bring the groceries to the grocery store. I don't think they want to. I think they once do. We, what else would they we, do? Would they've got all these groceries? What podcasts. are they going to do with them? They paint. They they. Well, good. Right. No. And so so. The, the number of people who are now involved in bringing groceries to the grocery store that aren't necessary, those people will then do podcasts or something. Trust me, how, how, can, how is it that, that simpler creatures can exist in a world without money, but, but humans who are so sophisticated, we can't figure out a way to do that? We can Really, you'll see. Would they you, don't live. You just, no, like, no, no I'm, just pro- I'm trying to. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to come at come at you with, with the, the with the places that I see it not working. And I'm here. I'm listening to you out. Yeah. But I still have a couple where I'm like, well, what about this? You know, like so. Say Listen, okay. So say I'm really so, wait, you, Hold up. Hold I'm up. Trying to tell seconds. you very politely that I I'm not going to be paying you for this. Okay. Yeah, but but say I murdered you, and then why is the cop going to come come stop me? No one's paying him well, to do it. Re- if you murder me, I really don't care what happens to you and the cop, whether or not the cop shows up. Okay, say I murder someone else. Why would you do that? I, there's deranged you, people. Methods, you want me to call a cop? Say a meth head does. A meth head goes and murders. Do you think the cop shows up member. for money? No, the cop. I mean, people people show up to help other people. Money's not involved in that. But who coordinates it all? There's, ah, I guess God. it's some good work. I think some good work. work. I think it would be better to implement it piece by piece rather than all at once. All right. But you wouldn't we'll, need we'll to cut out the rich first. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm game. Let's see how it works. We'll okay. do it your way. Well, more or less, how would you make it? Like, like a realistic explanation is it won't happen. Money won't become illegal all at once. Well, I'm, a way to I'm do that would be to have every single be... person take all their money out of a bank at once. That's what but, I'm, t- I'm telling people. Sell all your stocks. But in and, recessions, and people kill themselves. Bad things happen. More people die in recessions than when the money when things are going well. Look, I, I don't know why you're trying to bring me down here. I'm why are you being to such a pessimist? <laughs> Everything's going to work out fine. There's a God. God exists. Yeah. That you know that the, the anyone who's lost a family member to suicide or to any type of accident. God exists, so that person got to go up to heaven or wherever the next stage is. So they're in a, like a place that's way cooler than we are right now, like watching us or they're doing their own thing. So if people do get scared and they end up committing suicide or you know get hurt, some way get killed, like they're gonna, they're better off. They're they're in a good place. 
Here, here's something I, I do want to say about suicide, though, and reincarnation. I don't know any of this for a fact. It's just sort of the, you know, I had this view of heaven and got, got a notion of the afterlife. It seems to me that if you commit suicide, you sort of have to come back and do it all over again. One of, one of the, one of the uh, prizes you get by persevering in life and getting through all the hard times is that you get through and then you can go on to the next phase. But if you sort of quit, unless I think it's only under the most like really dire situation where someone is threatening to kill you constantly and you really have done everything you can to, to avoid that and the only way out is suicide, then you might get your golden ticket. But I think if on a whim you decide, you know what, fuck it, I'm really bummed out, I'm just gonna kill myself. I really think that you gotta go back and start again. So before you kill yourself, think about, do you really wanna go back to the beginning? In some ways, like if you kill yourself, you're a 50 year old guy and you now know what it's like to, let's say, like for example, I think sometimes think if I went back now to being a kid, like a high school kid again, knowing now what I know about girls, like I could, I could probably get a lot more girls. I don't think it'd be worth it to go through all the hassle of life again. So I, I don't want to, I'm definitely not going to be killing myself anytime soon. 